It's a beautiful day to start a garden. You carefully select the perfect spot, ensuring the soil is rich in nutrients and the area receives just the right amount of sunlight. As the seed begins to sprout, you tend to it, nurturing its growth by providing the right balance of water, warmth, and care. You watch as it transforms into a flourishing plant, eventually bearing fruits or vegetables that nourish and delights those who partake in it. Just like tending to a garden, building an audience for your business requires similar nurturing, care, and understanding of the environment to ensure success. In the realm of B2B SaaS, this gardening analogy is more relevant than ever. The seed is your idea. The blossoming fruits and vegetables are your product that delight your customers. But what if you could know what produce your customers wanted before planting? You can learn to cultivate an audience, understanding their needs and desires before planting the seed that drives your business. By doing so, you can create a fertile ground for your product to thrive, paving the way for more successful launches and long-lasting customer relationships. Enter Anthony Canada, a true connoisseur of audience cultivation, as well as the CEO and co-founder of Audience Plus. Anthony is a firm believer in the audience before product approach emphasizing the importance of understanding your target persona and tailoring content and narratives specifically for them. In building Audience Plus, he's had firsthand experience in figuring out what his audience wants before even announcing a product. Anthony's vast experience and knowledge in building audiences has proven to be invaluable, especially when it comes to leveraging the power of engagement across various channels. In today's episode, we'll dive deep into Anthony's expertise, exploring his unique insights in audience building, and discussing the benefits of prioritizing your audience before developing a product. Together, we'll uncover the secrets of nurturing your audience garden and reaping the rewards of a loyal and engaged customer base. Don't miss this insightful conversation that will undoubtedly inspire and inform your own audience growth journey. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Anthony Canada talks to Andrew Davies about how thinking like a media company unlocks the power of your audience. They talk about the collision path towards commoditization, the principles behind building audience before product, thinking like a media company to overcome a stagnant growth machine, the urgency behind deplatforming, and using distribution to unlock a commercially valuable audience. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for a look into the fundamentals of building an audience. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about Anthony's advice. First up, Anthony talks about the collision path towards commoditization. Anthony, great to have you on Protect the Hustle. It's really fantastic to chat to you about media, about SaaS, about growth. Really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So talk to us a little bit about the journey to this point, because Audience Plus is your current business, but you've you know had a rich history to get there through Gainsight and Hopfront and Hopin. And talk to me about what you've learned on those different steps and how that has led you to you know bet the next portion of your life on owned media. Yeah. So I think it starts by just thinking about how I showed up to Gainsight. I, I'd never done marketing before. And Nick Maida, who's the CEO there, who I had worked with at a previous company, sort of, for whatever reason, entrusted me to come in and build marketing at, at Gainsight. And so 
a lot of what I brought to the table as, you know, as a relatively junior marketer now kind of tasked with building a brand, a demand funnel going from zero to one was first principles. So I didn't come in with like 20 years of being a veteran in paid search and demand gen. You know, you often say like CMOs come from either the demand gen school or product marketing, maybe brand and, and community. I was none of that. I was a, came from product actually was my background before that. So using first principles, I looked to a lot of what consumer brands were doing, thinking that was my exposure to marketing was what Disney was doing, what Airbnb and some of these other folks that were kind of aspirational brands. And so we did a lot of things that were sort of maybe, you know, not, not a named best practice at the time. We hosted an event when we were just a very small company that had nothing to do with our software, but everything to do with a practice of customer success, you know, exchanging best practices, building community and, and kind of creating this forum for people to actually meet each other and kind of grow their careers that way. And that hypothesis was sort of validated by, by that first event. And then we ended up building the entire marketing engine on top of that micro brand called Pulse. That was effectively the name of the, the conference. And so that showed up as basically a content marketing strategy all around best practices and customer success, a global event strategy um, that again, gathered the community uh, around this topic, virtual programs, virtual events, you know, I think, but yeah, podcasts, you know, several other things that we did as well, kind of in the earlier days. And I think that the broad thing that I learned through that experience is if you build thought leadership as a brand and build equity into your brand, that is, it doesn't just align your logo with this broader movement, which is good. We want that. It also is something you can monetize and grow into and, and grow as a, as a you know, revenue engine through thought leadership, which at least in 2013, 2015 was relatively novel as a concept because we we're so focused on like outbound calling and buying lists and Google pay-per-click and some of these, these other things. And so that as a strategy was something that deeply impacted me and said, look, there's something, you know, really, you know, future and, and novel about that, but also it just feels right to like build relationship with an audience and, and to kind of develop that trust and be authentic. And, you know, there's something about that. I can just go to bed at night as a marketer and be like, we're actually like we're creating real value. And we're also able to grow as a result, which is pretty meaningful. So brought that to front a little bit, you know, they're very product driven business. And we started to kind of take steps towards that, that kind of building thought leadership. And then at Hopin, very fast journey at Hopin, but certainly I think the power of live experiences and seeing how just through the pandemic and everything, we're now using technology in a, in a way to kind of foster belonging and develop thought leadership and engage audiences and communities and really interesting in new ways. So all of that has sort of shaped, you know, this, this moment now into audience plus where it's like, okay, there isn't really an underlying technology platform that helps make this thing possible. And so we're sort of re-architecting the traditional means of growing a business, growing revenue, building pipeline, all these types of things, thinking through the lens of relationship. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into this, but we learned a lot from you all in what you have done in the sense of building an audience. And, you know, I think a lot of direct to consumer companies do this really well. You build an audience first, you validate a lot of these hypotheses, bring those insights into the product, and then you launch a product into that audience. And so try to try to put it into practice now and, and audience plus as a first time founder being a marketer before that and really excited. Love it. So from product to marketing leadership, and now to founder of, uh, of audience plus. So I think the shared thesis that we've discussed many times before is that, you know, SaaS is a great monetization 
engine and media is a great audience builder a relationship builder as you said so is that the crux of the thesis behind audience plus or you know what else are the justifications for this being the right time to go and launch something that enables other companies to build out their own owned media yeah really good question i think a couple things one companies that are taking purely a product first or product only approach to going to market i think that the danger there is that all products are kind of on this collision path towards commoditization like we get we're it's getting easier to build things fast and respond to the competitive pressures and so so your moat as a company being your product innovation is getting challenged i think uh, over time and you know i think the the piece that we're learning is that having a community or however you want to kind of zoom out from that an audience that has affinity to you as a brand is a moat that's much harder to, to steal, much harder to, to compromise. And so I think the thesis for the company is that that still feels pretty new as an idea, at least in B2B, because SaaS, we're still, you know, deep in like the product hunt, like product led growth kind of narrative that's kind of dominating the headlines still today. And so it feels like we're peeking a little bit into the future by saying, hey, companies like, you know, Paddle, ProfitWell, and others, maybe even HubSpot, what they're doing with with the hustle, are giving us a peek into kind of what's coming next. But there's still a lot of uncertainty. There's still like, all right, how do we actually build a media engine, or how do we think about first party data in this new world without third party cookies and getting more distribution on our content? How does all this actually drive growth fundamentally? There's still questions to be answered, and there's still technology to be built to really go solve the problem. So I think. The thesis was, it's, I have conviction, seeing a preview of it at Gainsight, seeing what you and others have done, that this is what the future of marketing will look like. And with more questions and product uh, gaps than anything else in the market today, it felt like an opportunity to really go in, that the time would be now to really go and bring something like this to market. Love it. And there's loads of depth in there that we need to dig into. So I'll come back to a couple of things there, but let's just jump yeah. to the very end before we do that. And I yeah. always wondered this when I was thinking about Marketo and HubSpot in the early days too. So if that's true and everybody then has a justification for being a media company, what's the end result of every single software company churning out a huge amount of content? Do you think, what's the logical conclusion in your mind when everybody is an Audience Plus customer? Yeah. I mean, more pressure to be creative, more pressure to break through the noise. It's putting the the weight on marketers to market and not just produce a bunch of content that you know is formulaic and is going to drive guarantee a certain amount of like search traffic as a result because that's really where we're, what we're operating from today at least in the traditional sense in b2b marketing it's you know content is written and it's against keywords and if a human can't read it but google can then great like because that's going to give us what we need to hit our inbound inbound targets and with we're seeing this week with chat gpt and like all of these things like producing written content it's going to get pretty commoditized over time people are going to stop reading but it's going to put pressure on marketers to write truly engaging editorial content that actually delivers value to an audience and i think you know using emerging formats it's weird to even say emerging with podcasts but you know it is still short form video long form live all of these new kind of you know, new to us at least, formats are channels by which we can kind of break through the attention kind of barrier. But it's also just putting pressure to maybe kind of have this like renaissance moment for creativity and actual value creation 
through our content and not just a performance lens on top of it. That's a great kind of pressure to have, hey? Yeah. Oh, I welcome it. As somebody who, who appreciates the creative side of marketing, I welcome it. Next, Anthony talks about the principles behind building audience before product. Very cool. So you mentioned this phrase, audience before product or building the audience before you launch the product. And clearly that's what you're doing. We see other examples of that. You you said, you know, B2C do this quite well or D2C do this quite well. Yeah. Adam Schoenfeld has done this recently in building a research community around PLG and target accounts before launching a software company. Talk to us about some of the principles of why you should build that audience. And you know, that's a lot of effort. It's a lot of time yeah. um, ahead of monetization. But by the principles of that, and then also what are the challenges of actually doing that ahead of having a software company to monetize it? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot to say here. I mean, I think the reason, the value in doing it is A, the empathy that you gather from the market, because now sure, you're doing the thing that is ultimately you know, at least in our case, that ultimately our customers are going to be doing. And so we have to get in their minds, get into their processes, test hypotheses that we have as, you know, potential software vendors and, you know, very quickly shift course if we're wrong. Because underlying this, at least again, in our case, but I think for most companies that are doing the strategy is an engineering team. It's a product and engineering team that's building something in the back end and our ability to iterate rapidly to get validation on, on ideas that we have to kind of course correct and make sure that we're going in the right direction or actually solving problems for our, our customers is invaluable. And so you think about like customer driven product development, this is actually community driven product development, which is a very powerful, you know, concept with exponential scale relative to a small subset of design partners for an early stage business. So I think that that's the reason to do it. Partially the reason we did it was kind of a happy accident too, in that we had finished building a part of the product that was very public facing. And, you know, the, the alternative was to sit on it for it like six months, eight months, you know, and so we definitely wanted to get it out there. We wanted to start kind of testing it in real time, understanding kind of how people are using the product and, and all that sort of thing. So, so I think in addition to sort of the value that we're getting, like, I think we can actually create some value out into the market as well. And being a marketer, and being kind of going off your last question, this somewhat of a new industry, I think it's it's weird to say owned media is new, but I think at least there's this sort of new definition of it that's emerging. We want to help educate the market and we want to help put the, the best practices out there, which isn't just us, but shining a light on, you know, what, what Patrick ha has done, you know, with you all, what uh, Kip is doing at HubSpot, what, you know, so many folks that we're able to learn from others and, and share their stories and be an amplification channel for, for that value. It does two things. It's, it helps cement the the category a bit. And so when we do launch owned media as this like random thing, like it's something that for months, you know, maybe even longer, we've been actually kind of talking about, but it also aligns our brand with that thing. And so Audience Plus, as we know it, you know, is almost three months old in terms of, of what we've shown the world. And we're already, you know, being cited and referenced around this idea of owned media or becoming a media company. I don't think you could do that in a world where you're just incubating a product for two years without telling anyone about it. And so you're building equity, even if you have nothing to sell. And I think that's really powerful. Very cool. So we've got the ability for content to be part of the research and community to be part of the research to define product. And then we've also got the the reach it gives you when you actually come to launch. Yeah. 
So have you ever seen this not work? Or have you got case studies or examples of where people have kind of gone too early or perhaps the community has led them in a wrong, in a different direction and there hasn't been a product they can build? I'm trying to think of anything the modern day. I mean, the one, the one quote that comes up is the super cheesy Henry Ford quote about if you just ask people what they want, they say they want a faster horse. And so I think I referenced that a little bit too, or sometimes I feel like, oh gosh, we got to show them the thing first for them to really like push on us because conceptually or in the way we're framing this isn't giving us kind of the i think the real insight that we're looking for but i can't think of any like modern at least SaaS businesses that launched a community where the product kind of failed or product didn't honestly i think it's because it's just so novel in our space like i think in the d2c world we probably can cite a few examples of companies that maybe didn't live up to their potential even though they have a strong community. And I think there's, you know, I feel bad calling out names, but I mean, I think there's a couple that are coming to mind of, of products that ended up being, you know, not living up against to their potential, but they're still kind of burgeoning around this idea and this community that's really gathered around it. So I think it's, uh, it's important to marry like good product development, best practices, good company building, best practices with this strategy and not just be like, fundamentally an outlier in, in community building and marketing and then just like you know not as great on, on the other stuff it has to you have to kind of focus on both and now anthony talks about thinking like a media company to overcome a stagnant growth machine You, I know you use words very carefully, and I've heard you use two different phrases. One is um, you've got to be a media company, and the other is you've got to be uh-huh. like a media company. So talk to me about the difference between those two and where one or the other lens makes more sense for a SaaS business, a software business maybe that's looking yeah. to scale or looking for media. This is, by the way, something we're actively learning and testing. So I'll give you a sense of how I see those two words, but I think the jury's still out. Hopefully we'll get some good feedback you know, from this episode for folks that give us their point of view. But the, the again the marketer in me i think there is this term called every company's it's phrase every company's becoming a media company and it's kitschy and it's like understood and spoken and so we wanted to hook onto that train and help kind of from a place of evangelism or a place of like breaking through the noise kind of you know say those words now if you talk to content marketers well everyone's been saying this for a long time and so there's almost like this, for lack of a better term, not disbelief, but this sort of like, oh, okay, every guy's going to need a company, here we go again, type of uh, attitude to it. And so I think that the question you're asked is an important one, because the risk is we are not trying ultimately to monetize our content, maybe a little bit to offset some expense. If you have a big conference coming up, you'll sell tickets to it, like that sort of thing. Some companies have charged for content or for research or some of these other things. So I think there's, there's a reason to do it. But the fear if you completely literally become a media company is distraction distraction from pipeline creation distraction from hitting the sales target from product marketing right from actually doing the things that are operationally how we make money as a SaaS business and so i can appreciate that being concerned i would say that folks would have would have on it being like a media company is a mentality shift. It means thinking about audiences, not just thinking about customers or our community. Not that we don't want to not think about customers, but thinking about how we can build audience in a modern way, how we can use content in editorial formats, not just performance marketing, and then how we can effectively move them through this funnel. And the sort of funnel analogy that comes to mind here is this idea of like a rented audience on 
social, on Google search, an owned audience where we can actually have that direct relationship with the member of the audience and then monetized, obviously selling products, services, customers kind of at the bottom of that funnel. That is sort of borrowing language, borrowing tactics from the media kind of consumer media business or industry to inform how we shift our thinking as B2B marketers. There's probably more truth in that example. There's probably That's probably closer to the pin, but there's something buzzier about, about the media company thing. I think there's also this strategy that a lot of companies have done of acquiring existing media companies and letting them run independently, almost like this editorial arm where we have editorial here and content marketing here. And so it might even be this maturity thing where you have large, you know, larger businesses that are kind of treating them as separate entities almost or micro brands within the company mix. You have to be determined. But I would say if you're an early to mid-stage SaaS business, if you're call it one to a hundred million of ARR, you're probably focused on being more like a media company than you are actually becoming a media company. Because you're not, you're a SaaS company at the end of the day. And surely part of the issue there as well, when you're thinking like a media company, is a greater or higher quality bar. Because the challenge when you're in a performance mindset is it's always to serve the engine you're building rather than right. perhaps to serve the end user. And one of the conversations I had that was most instructive, I had a good conversation with um, with Mark DeCristina from MailChimp a while back. And I asked him, what's the hardest thing? You know, he's built this fantastic content media brand engine at, at uh, MailChimp. What was the hardest thing about all of this? And he said, the hardest thing is actually creating something that people give a shit about. Now, that was that was the real difficulty. The rest of all the instrumentation and the measurement, and the distribution was easy yeah. compared to that. So how do you think about quality and how do you encourage people to raise the quality bar to that level rather than it just being enslaved to the growth machine? Yeah. Well, shoot, I mean, at least the conversations I'm having now is like, at least start doing something. Like, you know, look to a MailChimp and, and others and get out of just writing performance blog posts and start producing videos, start producing other things. So I'm seeing more zero to one level conversation today, at least in the broadest sense in the industry. But I mean, absolutely. Like once you start producing this stuff and yet you still, at least as a CMO or a VP of demand, still have to show up in front of your sales team and hold account to a pipeline target or whatever it is, however you're measured, the sort of, you know, the life cycle of that piece of content has to end up in some t- somewhere in the funnel to an outcome. And, you know, I think Ben has been at Paddle has done such an amazing job talking about this too on LinkedIn of like the currency to do that isn't just volume. It can't be. And it's just going to get so much easier to produce like, you know, look, chat GPT, all these things. So you have to push the creative boundary, pr- creative bar you have to actually listen to like what people, what are the, what are the questions that people in your audience have and how can you create content in a way that doesn't just educate them on the answers, but inspires them along the way or entertains them along the way. Cause it turns out we're all, we're all humans at the end of the day. And we watch things on Netflix and Hulu and the other things that we opt into, but in business, like we don't just start reading white papers on a Friday night. Like we, we you know, we want to, to still be inspired and be entertained while also learning along the way. So I think one one analogy that I've given in the past is thinking about this through the lens of becoming almost like a lifestyle brand for people within your persona. You know, you sort of do life with them. You enrich their careers uh, along the way. And you're answering questions that they have, but you're doing it through a creative lens or a lens that, that lands with them at the very sort of emotional level. So anyway, the, I think that the punchline to your answer is that has to 
like creativity feeds impact. Being able to actually deliver value will result in better customer acquisition motions because it's happening through this lens of value and relationship, not just transactional, not just buying a list and calling down that list with your, your BDR is like, if you do generate leads off that, I think that cohort of leads has a higher propensity to churn or to not convert through the funnel versus folks coming in through this relationship channel. So it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a powerful kind of idea, but it, it is, you know, a, a new way of thinking about generating generating revenue and i think going back to to market mailchimp i think that was their result was that those who come in via their top of funnel brand content you know have a higher chance of conversion larger basket size yeah. etc and i guess the way just reflecting on what you're saying there the way i think about this of unifying the demand mindset the media mindset the creative mindset is that we have to know that persona and you just use that word persona in your answer there yeah. We've got to really care about the persona, that ICP, that individual, their pains, their needs. And then we've got to let our creative teams absolutely rip on making experiences for them that count. And I think the danger yes. is when either we're in one ditch where we're too focused on this ICP and this persona and delivering them really mediocre content, or we're over here doing insanely creative things that's just too too broad an audience that we can't actually convert. Yeah. And when you unify those two, that's when you've got real magic. So powerful. So powerful. There are too many companies that haven't done the upfront work to understand their their personas or to get really, really deep on on who they're selling to, who they're marketing and selling to, and or product driven businesses that are leading with innovation but don't have a home for that value creation. So I, I fundamentally agree. I think that's absolutely kind of the that where, where the magic for all of this can happen. Next, Anthony talks about the urgency behind deplatforming. So in your Audience Plus kind of media engine that you're already building, one of the things you're doing when the series you're running owned is talking to media companies themselves about their tactics and channels and their, you know, strategies that they've built up. So you've talked to Pop Sugar, Morning Brew, Barstool Sports, a couple of others. Yeah. Perhaps you can just summarize maybe a learning for each of those so that we can, uh, we'll yeah. link to those in the show notes just, just so we can highlight for the listeners. Yeah, actually, I'll give you a quick just behind the scenes too. We were inspired by Price and Page Teardown on this idea. Like this was not because uh, PC has often talked about like franchises or looking at consumer kind of examples and bringing those in. And I found that I was just doing an interview show, which is great. We need to do interview shows, which we call Media House. And we wanted to experiment with a format that looked at consumer media sites and sort of tore them down respectfully, of course, in, in a way that doesn't create enemies out in the market and apply those learnings to B2B companies. And so... Yes, probably it's actually the most, we get the most engagement off that show so far in our three month history. So very new, but that is our, our top, top program. And there's so much, so many learnings, right? And we just did an episode where we're launching next week with Liquid Death, which is another one, which they've done such incredible things on, on the own media side. Some of the learnings, what's interesting is there is a pattern that we see in the consumer media space that is kind of forming our hypothesis for, for B2B. The first is each of these platforms, call it Barstool, call it Pop Sugar, whoever, has this idea of a rented and owned strategy. So they are doing things in the social ch channels. They're using short form video. They're doing a lot to be sort of the, to have a steady cadence of release of content to be relevant to their audience in the channels where their audiences are. However, they also have an owned strategy. They are actively trying to deplatform that audience from social into an owned database where they can then have that direct relationship with the with their audience. It comes in the form of a newsletter 
or it comes in the form of just being a member of their community and you can have a logged in sort of access to, to their community and special events and experiences and merch and different things that are just for that folks within their own space. So that's kind of one kind of big, big trend that, that we're seeing. The second, I kind of a fun one. I hit on this a little bit. Each one of them have a merch strategy. It's so weird in that it's not merch from the like company branded, like, you know, here's an audience plus t-shirt type of a thing, but it's, it's sort of the idea of creating almost FOMO around a specific piece, physical good, be it clothing or a tchotchke at your desk or something and creating a scarcity around that. And people that want it, want to be in on the inside joke. And I think that's where brands are getting really smart is that the piece of content is an insider point of view. It's an insight. It's, it's a phrase that is an insider phrase. It's a something that by buying it or getting that good, they are sort of, you know, they belong to this community or this way of thinking. And so, you know, Liquid Death has this like candle that they did. They have a bunch of things of Halloween costume, lunch boxes, like artwork, random, random stuff. And they don't use it again as sort of this free thing, but it's almost like a store. It's an e-commerce business within each of these consumer media brands. And the one, one last thing I'll call out is they use some of these things in order to grow their audience. And so Morning Brew is pro probably the masterclass for folks to study is Morning Brew. It's pr pretty amazing what, what the team has done there. They built a referral network for their newsletter where if you refer a certain amount of people, you get an insider piece of merch as a means of that. And that generated tremendous growth in their kind of owned audience just by incentivizing around some piece of some fun thing that's a piece of scarcity you know, to them. So we're learning a lot. And it's just so mind blowing as a B2B marketer who spent, I don't know, where am I at? 12, 13 years now in this industry, thinking there's a whole other world out there that are doing really innovative things that none of us are touching yet. And it's working. So it's like a gold mine if we're able to like, again, be like a media company. And I think I'm, I'm sort of convincing myself that might be the bet where we end up landing on this thing. But to start pulling some of those practices into how we go to market as B2B brands, it's like, what, a, what an opportunity to stand out right now. <laughs> Love it. Love it. You, you used a word there, deplatforming. I know you've talked yeah. about this a little bit. And, you know, this is, I assume, the process of bringing people from a rented rented platform onto an own platform. So explain that a bit deeper for everyone, the why behind it, why it's essential, why yeah. it's urgent, and then what's the benefits of doing that? Yeah, you know, what, one thing we're seeing is our relationship with social media is changing. And if you've been paying any attention to what's going on with Elon and Twitter, and then everyone has a different point of view on, on that topic, but we can all agree that things are changing. And... I think, it, it, again, this starts as I think with most of this conversation from the consumer world where creators have grown frustrated that their organic reach is being governed by an algorithm that they don't control. And so they can post something and try to play to the algorithm by diluting their message in order to try to get reach. We're feeling this now. If I post something on LinkedIn with the word link in comments in the description, I get about half the impressions that I get if I don't. And so the where our eyes are opening on the creator side and now on the brand side is that these are like ad-based networks that make their money on using you and your network, your followers and your content in order to generate revenue. They don't want you leaving that platform. They want you to stay on platform. So observation number one is these, you were not uh, declaring war or anything on LinkedIn, Twitter, or on those lines, but they're not for you really. Um, and we need to be aware of that. And the second piece is, or the counter kind of intuitive part of this is that our audiences are there, like they're on TikTok, they're on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter. And so we can't not have 
a play there. We can't not have a strategy that shows that for us to show up in these rented channels. And it goes beyond just social, by the way. Think of the con- third-party content networks like YouTube, like Apple Podcasts, like Spotify. It's, it's a very similar approach. And if you think I'm wrong, ask them for the email addresses of all of your followers and see if they'll give them to you. And even if they gave them to you, you don't have the legal consent to actually email them, right? They haven't opted in. So the underlying fabric of this thing is broken. And so we need to think about targeted strategies in these rented channels that do a few things. Most of them, honestly, are are probably zero click. They're probably awareness. They're probably just being relevant and being this hot sort of company that is producing value for the audience that is generating some type of virality or, or growth and followership. And that just is, it's like NBC or it's any network. It's like you're active, you're, you're relevant and you're creating real value. However, where possible, the goal would be to try to take that audience off of LinkedIn or Twitter or anything else and into your own database. And you can do it in a few ways that I think sort of game the algorithm back against some of the networks. That's kind of, I think the success that we've been seeing so far with Audience Plus is sort of deplatforming our LinkedIn audience mostly or using LinkedIn kind of strategically to pull that audience into our sort of subscriber database. You know, you can, some of the things we do is we talk often about some of the exclusive content that we have just for subscribers and we promote them in the third-party networks. In some cases, we just go for the LinkedIn comments and get less reach, but we get a ton of engagement of those that we do reach. In other cases, again, we try to like play with it and it's ways to kind of get guys under. But I think that what we've seen from things like Patreon, from Substack, from others, is that there is this movement happening to go and own your own data. And if you're a B2B company and you know third-party cookies are, are going to be completely gone, I think it's now 2024, Like, there's nothing more important than capturing that data so you can actually size your audience and be able to distribute content into them, but then understand how are they engaging with all of your stuff in order to a make smarter decisions about the type of content you are producing in what formats in what you know on what topics that sort of thing and then also that connection to to value creation and ultimately revenue so we have to deplatform it's not easy we're swimming upstream against it or flying into the into the wind but i think it's pretty central to to any consumer media company at least and i think we have a fair way to do it in our world And now, Anthony talks about using distribution to unlock a commercially valuable audience. And so that process of deplatforming clearly is a a pillar of any good modern distribution strategy. And we've talked about before how the content itself is only half the work. It's the distribution that really is is, is making the value. So how do you think about distribution and particularly what you've talked about in terms of zero click and in-platform format. So how do you think about distribution in all of these different places that have got to aggregate an audience that's then commercially valuable? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I think that's sort of the part of the problem set that we think Audience Plus has a real opportunity to help solve. Because there's a lot of great tools, like we mentioned Riverside and Canva and Hop and StreamYard, all these different tools are making it easier to create content. The gap, I think, is figuring out this problem. So what I would say is this, I think there's, I think, first of all, we still fundamentally undervalue email as probably the main channel for driving engagement, like actual and deep engagement with with our audiences. You know, I've seen that come to life with like events where if you want to drive registration to an event, you can do all you want on social. 
probably get a limit, limited amount of registration. But the second you email your database, you know, with an offer or with a compelling kind of reason to register, that's where the real kind of engagement happens. And so I think that one of the benefits to an owned audience is like building that relationship through email that is a very powerful distribution force. The second bit then is like, okay, the way we've done that historically has been through kind of one-to-many campaigns. Uh, we've got our newsletter that goes out and it doesn't matter if what role Jane Doe has, what company size, what problems contextually that she cares about, she gets the same email that everyone gets. And I think you know, our ability to be personalized through email and other channels with how we sort of present content or present different kinds of solutions is ultimately a better way to, to get distribution. The other piece that people talk about outside this whole email thing is repurposing. And so producing one piece of content, be it this podcast or, or what have you, and then repurposing this into so many different channels. We're recording on video today, using video as a means of creating kind of short form assets that ultimately are are driving people to the to, to listen to the download or to, to download the episode there's all of these i think different ways for us to get more out of what we're doing versus just doing more and i think that thinking through the repurposing kind of framework is is important but i think that the the novel part of this is all of these things working together not just to get more followers and more likes but all of these things working together to drive more folks into your owned audience that you can then kind of build this bit bigger and better relationship with. So from a resourcing perspective, and there'll be loads of SaaS founders and marketers listening to this, it feels like there are a bunch of different pretty niche skills in every single platform to understand the algorithm, the distribution. Have you ever found someone who understands it across all of these different platforms? Or is that where a system comes into play? Or is it about <laughs> each channel owner knowing their salt rather than it being something that can be centrally controlled? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I think that I don't think there are many folks in the traditional B2B marketing team that have this sort of specialization across every every platform. Like we have like community managers on social and that sort of thing, but it's a little different than an audience building, right? And so I think, yeah, I think we talked about this uh, uh, a while ago was, a lot of folks are starting to hire that specialization from like the creator space, kind of coming in-house into B2B marketing teams, folks that fundamentally understand how do you create content for these different channels in order to actually get engagement? Because what we do on TikTok is much different than what we do on obviously LinkedIn or some of these other channels. Understanding those nuances is really important. I think what I'd advocate for and quite selfishly is thinking about all of that through the lens of amplification but then becoming your own channel for a distribution. And HubSpot, Darmesh has talked often about this, like become, becoming, owning that distribution, becoming a channel, I think is the ultimate space, the ultimate place we want to get to. But thinking through or having someone on, on the team who understands audiences, audience development, and being able to pull, con create content for the, those channels that pull kind of engagement back into your own space, I'd say is, is probably a pretty exciting like role. If that's someone that knows how to do that really well, I imagine that's going to be one of the big hiring kind of the things that people look for in B2B marketing hiring in, in the short term here. Super interesting. So let's try and give some real value as we close this out to some of the people in the audience who are listening, who perhaps, you know, are in that zero to one phase that you started off describing, you know, they've currently yeah. been blogging to make sure that inbound strategy is working and, you know, running the lead scoring and HubSpot on Marketo and then handing over to sales. 
and they're hearing you and saying, this sounds like a brave new world. What, <laughs> what are the few things that they need to be doing as they go into their next weeks or months to start actually you know, putting in place this media strategy? Yeah, I mean, it's start, I think we start by, by doing, which is kind of weird, but I, I think you have to just come up with a concept. Again, I think if you're listening to this, this interview, the conversation we had about understanding your persona is an important probably precursor to a lot of this. But if you can deeply empathize with a portion of your market and you have a story that's worth telling and you sort of like thought about your, the messaging, you sort of crystallized a bit of, of, the, of the story, do a show, whatever that is, launch a podcast, launch a video interview series, do this, take the first step and you know, we're, we're writing a lot about like, hey, it's actually becoming easier to produce relatively high quality content with tools like Riverside and, and what we're using today with, you know, at home audio equipment, like whatever it is, like you can actually get pretty decent quality without having to break the bank. And so you don't need to like wait until you get, you know, several hundred thousands of dollars of, of budget in order to start this thing. You can start pretty, pretty quickly and easily. And focus on that value creation for, for your audience and then experiment with these amplification kind of you know, channels. That's what we're doing. We're, we're a marketing team of two right now, if you don't count me. And we're producing, you know, one video, we're publishing one video every week. We're publishing two blog posts every week. One is editorial in nature. One is more SEO kind of, you know, focus. We're doing a newsletter every week and a monthly roundup. So you can do a lot of damage with a very small team, but we're doing it through the lens of learning, like what channels work for us. Like we didn't know about the don't say LinkedIn comments on LinkedIn thing until we did it. And we're like, oh, geez, okay, got it. Like now we know. We didn't know that we could produce like a video asset, short form video asset on TikTok. And we have like 15 followers and it gets like hundreds of thousands of engagements because it's not a social graph. It's this interest graph. And we're learning about that. We're learning how that you know, drives value back to, to the business. And so I just encourage you to really understand your persona and your, and develop the story for them. Come up with one show idea. Don't spend a lot of money on it. Get out there and start doing it and learn. And I think that's kind of the big takeaway from all of this is you'll, you'll pick up on kind of what is your audience saying back to you and how did, how are they helping validate a lot of both your narrative as well as the medium by which you're delivering that narrative and you'll get better at it over time. Man, I feel bad if you guys watch back PC's first interview. Peace uh, PC was our first guest uh, on the first interview I've ever done for Audience Plus. And I'm like, man, I sucked. I was so bad. And I'm not great now at all. But I, you can feel yourself almost like starting to build a muscle around being on camera or being behind the mic the more you do it. So I really want to encourage folks to, to just get started and, and don't aim for perfection. You'll kind of you know get better over time. I love it. Learn by doing. You've you've ended this with a, a great marketing call to action. So thank you so much for your time, Anthony. <laughs> exactly. Really appreciate all the wisdom. And yeah, thank you for spending the time walking through the details of that for everyone on the call. Of course. Thanks for having us. A massive thank you to Anthony for being on the show. Now you know what it takes to build an audience. Today, we talked about the collision path towards commoditization, the principles behind building audience before product, thinking like a media company to overcome a stagnant growth machine, the urgency behind deplatforming, and using distribution to unlock a commercially valuable audience. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson Anthony taught you from today's episode. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.